months, and it won't be long before you'll find that that's not nearly enough time to spend with our Lord. If you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, and there's a verse back there that pertains to prayer. We, we find it in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, and, and, and the verse is, is very short. You, you may uh, remember it uh, from memory. You may have memorized it at some point. Where God said to Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. How many of you have uh, watched an infomercial maybe sometime this week? You've turned on the television, you found one, right? And what are they always saying in every infomercial? Call, right? Call me. For the first hundred, call right now. Operators are standing by. For the first hundred people that call, we'll throw in free shipping and you can get two for the price of one. But they want you to make that call. And here in Jeremiah chapter 33, the maker of the universe the King of kings and the Lord of lords issues to you and me that same invitation. He says, I want you to call unto me. And he promises that when we do, he will show us great and mighty things, which before then we did not know. Is there anything in, in your life right now that, that, that you don't know? Maybe something going on right now, maybe something in the future, just, just something that you don't know the, the, the answer to. Okay, I, I see we've got some, some young folks in this service today. And remember back uh, when uh, you first started taking algebra? I mean, just when we were getting the numbers down, they started mixing in letters with it. You know, that just totally, totally confusing. I know that when my kids uh, got to about algebra, uh, they got past my ability to help them with homework. You know, from then on, uh, they either had to get it on their own or, or get a friend to help them or whatever. They, they got past me, you know, and I remember them saying, Dad, did you not have algebra in school? And I said, yes, I did, but, but it was a long, long time ago. I, it just, after a while, it just didn't seem to make sense anymore. I remember when my oldest son was getting ready to go to college and, and he, he was concerned as he was getting ready to take his ACT but, and he was worried about it because he had to have a certain uh, ACT score to get his scholarship and he was all concerned and I said, Aaron, quit worrying, you'll make that. And he said, well, how do you know, Dad? And I said, well, I made that and you're a lot smarter than I am. You know what his words were? They had an ACT when you went to school, Dad. So even back in the old days, they had an ACT, they had algebra. But if algebra confused me, imagine what it was like, some of you remember, when you went to college and you had to take calculus. I never did figure out how to solve for F. Never understood what it was about, never understood what it meant, didn't understand anything about it. 
And to make matters worse, not only was I confused, but, you know, I was already behind and I skipped a few classes because it was in the afternoon and that was right at the same time as intramural softball. And that was more important at the time than that calculus class. So it just didn't make sense. Well, in life sometimes, things don't make sense. Even when we're walking with God and seeking Him first and, and, and doing those things that we need to do, sometimes it's just things happen that we didn't see coming, that we can't understand, we can't fix. At least that's the way it is in my life. Does it ever happen for you like that? That God just doesn't make sense. Now let's think about Jeremiah. When, when God gave Jeremiah this invitation to call him, this was what was going on in Jeremiah's life and in the life of, of Israel, or particularly the southern kingdom of Judah. God had sent prophet after prophet saying, if you don't turn back to following me, I'm going to allow judgment to come. And as prophet after prophet came and preached, over and over and over again, that the people would not listen. They just kept on with their sinful ways. And it seemed like for a little while under King Josiah that there might be a revival, that there might be hope. And, and so Jeremiah was preaching and prophesying, and, and, and Josiah was king, and it, it looked briefly like the nation was turning back to God. And, and, and then Josiah was killed in battle. And all of a sudden things got bad again. And God raised up an army, the, the, the new world ruler at the time, the, uh, the Babylonians, sometimes referred to as the Chaldeans. And, and they came in under, under Nebuchadnezzar, and, and they came in and just walked right through all the armies, the Assyrians and the Egyptians and all those people, and they came right to Jerusalem. And they came in and they took some of the people captive, and then a few years later, they came back and they took the city again and they took some more people away captive. And they put a, a puppet king on the throne and said, as long as you do what we say, we'll leave you alone. Well, the, the king began to listen to some of his advisors and they said, hey, we need to team up with the Egyptians and we need to try to throw off the Babylonians. And, and Jeremiah said, don't do it. God has already told me that it's useless for you to do that. You will not win. And so because Jeremiah stood up and spoke his mind, the king had Jeremiah thrown first in a pit, in a cistern, and then he put him into prison. And so when Jeremiah got this word, first of all, Jeremiah was in prison. Secondly, things had indeed gotten bad because when the, when the Israelites tried to throw off the Babylonians, they brought the whole army and they totally surrounded the city of Jerusalem for a period of about two years. And so no one in Jerusalem could go out. No one could get into Jerusalem. They were, there was a total siege. And, and what they were doing during that period of time, they were building siege mounds. So that at one point they could just run their army up those mounds right over the wall and take over the city of Jerusalem. And eventually they would do that. And they would totally destroy the city. They would totally destroy the temple. They would basically leave it a wasteland and take people away into captivity. And so here they are, Jerusalem, totally surrounded by the Babylonians. 
Jeremiah in prison because he had said, Thus saith the Lord to the king, and the king didn't like it. And God gives him an invitation. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. But in order to get the meaning of that, we've got to back up just a little bit. Because in God's dealing with Jeremiah, in God's dealing with Jeremiah, I believe we see five steps to answered prayer when God doesn't seem to make sense. You know, sometimes when God doesn't make sense or life's not happening the way that we, we think it should, you know, sometimes our, our tendency is just to give up. Again, remember the little boy who couldn't learn his algebra? And he was about to give up, and he said to his dad, Dad, I think I just can't learn this. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to give up. And his dad said, Son, where would Abraham Lincoln be if he'd given up? Son, where would Thomas Edison be if he'd given up? Son, where would Douglas MacArthur be if he'd given up? Son, where would Elmo McCringle be if he'd given up? And his son said, Wait a minute, Dad. I know Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Edison and, and uh, MacArthur, but uh, who is... Uh, Elmo McCringle, he said, never heard of him. And his dad said, you know why? He gave up. <laughs> we don't ever get anywhere by giving up. And sometimes when things doesn't, do not seem to be making sense, we just want to throw up our hands and say, I give up. But God says, that's not what you're supposed to do. In fact, he gives us five steps that we have to get to in order to understand what God has for us. Re remember a verse of Scripture? I want to read it to you. Uh, we, we looked at it in Experiencing God, found in Isaiah chapter 55. God said, for, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we don't always have to understand what's going on, do we? That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. That's why we learn to trust. We don't always have to understand. Now, for some of us, before we do anything, we want step-by-step -step instructions, right? We want to see the beginning. We want to see the middle we want to see the end, and we, ought, we want to know exactly the way it is how we're going to get there. It's like we want to punch it into our GPS, and God give us step-by-step, turn-by-turn directions for, for everything in life. But we find it doesn't work like that, does it? Because here was Jeremiah. No one had been more faithful to God than Jeremiah, and he was in prison. And after all of those years of preaching, no one had listened. And now all of Jerusalem was surrounded and, and about to be captured and, and taken. But I want you to notice what happens in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 1. Would you stand with me as we read just the first six verses and then we'll look at the rest of the chapter. Jeremiah chapter 32, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. In the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. 
At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord? Behold, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Now notice verses 6 and 7. I'm sorry. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field, that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. You can be seated. Now, first of all, I want you to notice the confusion. As, as we've already seen, Jeremiah's in prison. And, and Babylon, is, I mean, the Babylonians had totally surrounded Jerusalem. And in the middle of all that, God, uh, Jeremiah wanting God to give him word, give him direction, give him deliverance. This was what God told him to do. I want you to buy a field. Now can you imagine what Jeremiah must have been thinking? When God said, I want you to buy a field. Jer Jeremiah must have been thinking, God, we're, we're about to be hauled off into captivity. I'm about to be killed here in the prison. The last thing I need is to go out and try to buy some real estate. But that's exactly what God told him to do. And I believe through this story of Jeremiah, we see some steps that God gives us as, as he answers our prayers when things just don't seem to make sense. The first thing I believe he says to Jeremiah here is that as, as we, the first step in answering our prayers is you must need me. Now Jeremiah and the people of Jerusalem, the king of Judea, they had some needs. Jeremiah shut up in prison. Jerusalem surrounded by the Babylonians. They had needs. They had gotten themselves into such a mess that God was the only one who could get them out of it. You know, sometimes in life, God will allow those trials and those difficulties to come on us simply to remind us of how much we need Him. Because you know sometimes if we're not careful, we can begin to think we're getting pretty good at this. You know, we, we've got a handle on things at work, and we've got a handle on things at home, and, and, and we've got a handle on things here, and a handle on things there. And we begin to, to, to think that, hey, I, I can run this thing. I can do this. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. I can take care of it myself. And when we find ourselves in that situation, we have a tendency to begin to slack off in our prayer life, don't we? Because we really don't think we, we need any help. We got it. It's almost as if we say, hey, God, I, I got this. I got it. If, you know, if I need you, I know where you are. 
If I need you, I'll ask you. But, but, but right now, I, I got it. And sometimes, boom, just like that, out of the blue, we'll get hit with a curve. Just to be reminded that we still need him. You see, we don't need God just for a few things. We need God for everything, don't we? Because again, as we talked about last week, Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And not only in our lives as individuals, but also in our, in our, in our life as a church. You see, could it be that the reason that there's so much spiritual apathy and there's so many more lost people in America today than there's ever been before is that somewhere along the way as a church, we thought we had it figured out. And we got so good at putting on programs and we got so good at having activities and we built such nice buildings and we started meeting budget that after a while we didn't need God anymore. All we needed was a new building program or a new stewardship campaign or just some sort of activity coming out of Nashville. And when we had that, we had everything we needed. And yet every year, the number of lost people in America increases. I remember back when I started in ministry and, and 30 years ago, and they would talk about how 175 million people in America were lost without Jesus. And we've done such a great job over the last 30 years that now nearly 250 million people in America do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And yet as churches, we're sitting back thinking, look how good we're doing. Look how great we are. Look how wonderful things are. And God will look down and say, you don't even know as he said to the church at Laodicea, you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind. Before I can answer your prayer, you must need me. And finally in Jerusalem, in Judea, even in Jeremiah's life, they were to a point where they knew that they needed God. Isn't it a shame that sometimes we have to be driven to our knees? Instead of willingly getting down on our knees and, and spending time with God, we have to be pushed to our knees. And then when we're down and we can't get up on our own, then we lift up our eyes and cry out, You must need me, God said. But then I think he teaches Jeremiah something else. He said, Not only must you need me, but you must listen to me. Have you ever gone to God and asked him for something? And he didn't like the answer you got? He said, wait a minute, God. I, I, think you, I, think, I think you misunderstood me. That wasn't what I was asking for. I think of Moses out in the, in the wilderness. He said, God, give me a sign that you want me to, to uh, lead the people of Israel. He said, okay, Moses, here's your sign. After you've led them out, you'll worship me right here on this same mountain. Moses said, no, wait a minute, how's that a sign? After I've led them out, then you're going to give me the sign? God said to Jeremiah, you must, you must listen to me. Now, notice what he was telling Jeremiah to do. 
He said, I want you to buy a field. We're not going to read all the verses there. You, you can look at those verses in verses 6 through 8. But, but Jeremiah had a cousin, uh, Hanamel. And he came to Jeremiah and he said, hey, I got a piece of land I want you to buy. It's in Anathoth. That was, that was the village where, where uh, Jeremiah had grown up. It was about between four and five miles uh, northeast of Jerusalem. It was a little town, a little village. And, and when, when God had brought the people of Israel into, into the promised land, he had divided up the land among families and tribes and clans. And uh, God was very plain and very pure, very clear that, that he, didn't want, he wanted the land to stay in the family. That's why every 50 years they'd have a year of jubilee and all debts would be forgiven and all land would go back to the original owners. But if a person found themselves in a, in a financial strait, in a financial difficulty, and they needed to sell the land in order to live, then they had an obligation. The first person they had to offer it to was to their next of kin. And the next of kin had an obligation, if they were financially able, to buy that land so that it would stay in the family. And then you would just move down close to kin, further kin, further kin, further kin, until you found somebody that could or would buy it. And so Jeremiah was a cousin, and so he was the next of kin. I'm sure that probably Jeremiah was not the first person that Hanamel had asked about selling this property. He'd probably ask a few other folks, maybe his brothers and other people, and they said, man, are you crazy? We're not even sure we're going to be here tomorrow, and you're out trying to sell real estate. You know, capitalism at work, even back then, right? You're out here trying to sell real estate to somebody. You got a really good deal, but who cares? We're about to go into captivity. It's not going to do anybody any good. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and he said, hey, your cousin's fixing to come to you and offer you some land. And I want you to buy it. I want you to buy it. Now that to Jeremiah must have made absolutely no sense. But you see when we're praying to God and we're listening. First of all we've got to be open to the possibilities of God. You see God's probably going to answer your prayer in a way that you've never even thought of. In fact, it may not even seem real or reasonable at the time. Again, that's because our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. If we had a way out, we would have already figured it out, right? So we got to be open to the possibilities of God even when they seem to be unrealistic because sometimes God doesn't make sense. We've got to be open to the possibilities of God. Then secondly, as we're listening to him, we've got to be sensitive to the preparation of God. Noticing where God is starting to work. That's why spending time in the word and in prayer is so important every day. So that we're listening, so that we're hearing, so that we can see what God is, is, is about to do. So that we can sense when he is, is moving and, and something happens and we think, wait a minute, this may be God. God may be in this. And we start to listen. But if we're not spending time in the Word and not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we miss it. And then as we listen to Him, we can be assured by the proof of God. 
In other words, when, when God lays it on our hearts and, and, and we listen to him, then that still small voice in our lives, the Holy Spirit of God, just lets us know that it is the will of God and we do it. Now, sometimes people around you may think, he's lost his mind. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? Think of what they must have thought about Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was going to, to listen to God and buy the land. Everybody just been looking at Jeremiah saying, sucker. Oh, he saw you coming. You, you, you answered the late night ad. You, 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 brought, you bought the Ronco knives or whatever it is. You, you brought the slicing and dicing and all. You, you were suckered in. You, you got in on the get-rich-quick scheme. And Jeremiah listened. You see, as we're wanting God to answer our prayers, we've got to get to the point where we need him. We've got to get to the point where we listen to him. And then God said, you must obey me. Now, notice what Jeremiah did in uh, verse 9. And I bought the field I mean he didn't hesitate he didn't say well Lord let me pray about it for 30 days let me pray about it for 40 days let me, let me, get, let me consult somebody let me, let me talk to my, my financial advisor let, let, me, let me talk to somebody no what Jeremiah did he bought the field his obedience was immediate I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. And then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Mashiach, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. What did he do? He obeyed, not only did he obey immediately, but he did it publicly. He didn't say, well, hey, Hanamel, I'm going to buy this, but don't let anybody know about it. People think I'm crazy buying land at this time. Market's about to bottom out. And I'm about to go out here and pay you full price. Good price for land that, you know, probably in a few days I could get for nothing. But he not only did it immediately, he, he did it publicly, and he did it completely to the letter of the law. I mean, he had it sealed. It'd be like us getting it notarized. He, he got the stamps on it. He had witnesses. He, he did it in the public square so that everything was done and legal. And then notice what he did. We won't take time to read it, but he had Baruch, who was sort of like his secretary. He had Baruch put it in clay jars. And he had two copies. He had a sealed copy that was rolled up with a seal on it. And then he had an open copy so that if anybody wanted to read it, they could read the copy without having to break the seal. And he put it in sealed jars and he said, I want you to seal this up and I want you to store it. Because one day, one day as God would say to Jeremiah, people are going to buy and sell land in Jerusalem again. People are going to buy and sell land in Judea again. And so I want you to seal it. Now, because of the climate over there, the, the, uh, the desert was, uh, 
was so dry that putting stuff in sealed jars, they would last, it would last for centuries. I mean, you remember back in the 40s, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls that had been there since the time of Jesus, some 2,000 years. Down, down, in, uh, <clears throat> down in Egypt, we, we found some Jewish writings which had been there since about the time of Jeremiah. Those things would last for years and years in those clay jars in that very dry climate. And so Jeremiah did everything to the letter. He did it immediately. He did it publicly. He did it completely according to the law. And he even preserved it long term by putting it in the jars. He was obedient. Remember the verse we learned from experience in God? In John chapter 14 verse, verse 21. Where Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. You see, our obedience to God proves our love to God. And, and Jeremiah did it. He was totally obedient to God. You see, spiritual victory is the byproduct of obedience. See, it's foolish for us to pray to God in one area if we're being disobedient in another area. Again, Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so we just can't go out and live like the world and, and do everything like we want to do it. And then whenever we get ourselves in a tight, whenever we get in ourselves in a, in a bad situation, we come running to God and expecting Him to bail us out. We got to need him. We got to listen to him. But then we got to obey him. And most of the time, God is not going to give us the whole picture laid out there. He's going to give us the next step. And when we're obedient to that, then he'll move on. Remember the preacher that went to the new church? He was there for six weeks. He preached the same sermon six weeks in a row. The deacons came to him after church and said, Pastor, you've been here six weeks. You preached the same sermon. What's up? And he said, when you start obeying that one, I'll move on to the next one. You see, we're always wanting more and more and more and more of God. And God's just saying, you're not even being obedient in the little things. If you're not faithful in the little, you will not be faithful in the much. But if you are faithful in the least, Jesus said, you will be faithful in the much. You must obey me. Remember that song we used to sing? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. But you know what we do so many times, at least what I do so many times? Instead of pray and obey, I pray and I weigh. Mm, I don't know, God. Seems a little hard. Seems a little difficult. I don't know if I want to do that. Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho was a pastor of a church in Seoul, Korea, a church that started in 1956 in a living room and just grew to be, at one point, it was the largest church on, in the world. And Years ago, they would bring Dr. Cho over to America to find out his secret, to see what he was doing, how his church was growing so much and how, how many people were being saved and all of that. 
And they'd ask him his secret, and he said, really nothing to it. We just pray, and we obey. We pray, and we obey. But again, we want to pray, and we want to weigh. Is this good for me? Does this feel good to me? God said, you must, you must obey me. And then he said something else to Jeremiah. He said, you need me, you must need me, you must listen to me, you, you must obey me, and then you must trust me. Verses 16 and 17. After it was all over, after the, the real estate transaction had been done, signed, sealed, delivered, put in the jars, all of that, Verse 16, he said, After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched hand. Nothing is too hard or nothing is too difficult for thee. Look down in verse 24. God says this, Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. It's still to Jeremiah what God said did not make sense. But he knew that God was telling him to do it. You see, we forget that God has an eternal perspective. We have a very short perspective. Most of the things that happen in this life, we're not going to understand it while we're here. We're not going to understand it until we get to heaven and, and we're with him. Because God doesn't look as man looks. God's perspective is, is longer than our perspective. And that's why we have to trust him. That's why we have to walk by faith even when we don't understand. Things happen all the time, don't they? They just don't seem fair. They don't seem right. We can't understand them. But that's when we have to trust Him. That's when we simply trust and obey as Jeremiah trusted and obeyed. What have you, what have you asked God for this week? What's the greatest thing you've asked Him for this week? I'm afraid that sometimes at the end of the week, if I ask myself that question, I really haven't asked him for anything all that great. Because I don't trust him to do it. God said to Jeremiah, and he says to us, you must need me, you must listen to me, you must obey me, you must trust me. And then finally we get to Jeremiah 33, you must call on me. Notice in chapter 33, verse 1, the word of the Lord, after all this had happened, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. While he was still shut up in the court of the guard, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord in his name, 
Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now notice where Jeremiah's trust and his obedience and his listening and his need. Notice where they'd gotten him. Where was he? Still in prison. His circumstances had not changed one iota. One little bit. We, we would think, wow, now this is the way the story ought to end. We ought to, we ought to see now when the Lord comes to Jeremiah the second time that, man, he's out of prison. The Babylonians are, 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 are destroyed. And yet for Jeremiah, like for Isaiah and all the other prophets, their, their end on this earth was not very good. Think about their reward in heaven. God says, finally, you must need me, you must listen to me, you must obey me, you must call on, you must trust me, and then finally, you must call on me. And notice what he promises to do. Once we call on him, he said, I will show you great and mighty things that before now, the word literally have been fenced in. You ever, you ever had a thought in your mind and you knew it was there, you just couldn't get it out? Charlie asked me somebody's name this morning, name that I know like the back of my hand. But when he asked me, I could not think of the, of the lady's name. I had to sit there and go through my mind. Think of her husband, think of where she sat. Finally, I, her name came to me. It was there. Just couldn't get it out. That's the idea here. God said, I will show you things that before now have been fenced in. They've been inaccessible to you. You, you haven't had the, the way of knowing. You ever been praying and all of a sudden it's just like, all of a sudden the light came on? So simple. Why didn't I see that before? Why didn't I notice that? It's at that point when God showed us great and mighty things which we do not know. Why do we have to call on him? Because we talked about last week, God had already said to Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 11, For I alone know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you peace and hope. Plans to give you a future and hope. But what did he also say to Jeremiah? You'll seek me and you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart. You see, we're not going to be able to know and understand, ever fully comprehend the magnitude of the mind of God and the will of God. But if we're not seeking him and searching for him, we're not even going to begin to know. But when we realize we need him, when we commit to listen to him, when we commit to obey him, when we begin to trust him, and when we start calling on him, then like Jeremiah, we'll find a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. And it still might not make sense. 
But it's amazing that even when God doesn't make sense, as believers, we can have that peace that passes all understanding. Because we know that it's His plan, His purpose, His will for our lives. Let's pray. Father, things happen in all of our lives that we just don't understand. We didn't see them coming. Had no warning. And Lord, we, we know that as we're driven to our knees in prayer and we cry out to you, sometimes the answer we get still doesn't make sense. And sometimes even when we pray, the situation gets worse instead of better. But Lord, will you remind us that when that happens in our lives that you're just making us aware of how much we need you. And Lord, in our need, in our helplessness, help us as we listen to you. Listen to what you're saying. And then Lord, help us to be obedient. To be obedient in the things that we know to do. And then, Lord, as you open up further doors, that we'll be obedient to walk through those as well. Lord, help us as we trust you. That as we obey you, that we can trust that you're going to work things together for good in our lives. Even if in the short term we don't see it, Lord, we know that from an eternal view that it's always for your glory and our good. Father, help us as we call on you. Lord, remind us that we have an open invitation. That you ask and you encourage. In fact, you command us call on you so father help us when we, instead of spending time trying to figure things out ourselves help us just to immediately call out to you and makes talking with you a part of our daily lives in Jesus name we pray amen I want to ask you just to stand one moment Miss Barbara's just going to play softly Maybe something's going on in your life right now. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. It's been going on for a long time and there seems to be no relief. Maybe this morning's a time when you just need to acknowledge your need. Listen to what he's saying. Commit to be obedient. And trust him, whatever it is. God is true to his word. He takes it and works it together for good. Maybe here today and you need to come. You know this is a church family where God wants you to be a part. You've heard him say that you want him to be a part, that he wants you to be a part of this church. Today's a great opportunity for you to do that. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Miss Barbara plays. There's still time for you to come publicly and say, I want to follow Jesus. 
right now. Thank you, Miss Barbara. Trust and obey. We'll never really obey Him if we don't trust Him. And we won't trust Him if we don't spend time with Him in prayer and in the Word every day. Find your time. Find your place. Make that the most important appointment you have in your day. Hey, let's go to Sunday school and start the Sermon on the Mount, all right?